Ready? Hello, and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is episode... Check my notes. Th- <laughs> 34-8, and we're your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I really wish I owned Rule of Rose. And every week, we listen to great video game music from all consoles and all generations. We pick a topic, and we pick some music, and we listen to it, and we talk to each other. This is the first week in a while that we haven't had a guest. It is true. We can go back. It's like Rhythm and Pixels I Basic. Can, I could take my pants off again. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> but like, this is back to Rhythm and Pixels Basic. Rhythm, oh, Rhythm and Pixels. Uh, like like, yeah, like yeah, standard like style. Standard package. There we go. Standard. There we go. For you, any guitar freaks players yeah, in there. Yeah, that's right. You get you get the you get the, the full Robin Purnell package this week. Um, so next week is going to be our, our live Patreon stream. It's going to be our Halloween episode which is going to get released next week. But if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, we're recording it tomorrow. So if you're a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash rhythmandpixels, you can become a member there and you get access to the live stream of us recording the show. You get to join in and, and goof off with us in the chat and we make a lot of visual gags and it'll be a good time. It can be goofy. Actually, I'm looking forward to this episode because it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping people submit some jams for this one because I feel like this is an example of one where I think the story time is going to be more, could be much more fun. Well, we got one story from Daryl. Yeah, that was hilarious. Which is amazing. Yes, it is. <laughs> also, and I'll bring that up on the show proper. I'm just saying, like a little preview, Daryl's story is amazing. Yes, it is. So I cannot wait to, to, to share that. He also dropped a special challenge, which I put legitimate thought into. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, if you're listening to this, Daryl, you'll get your reply on the live stream. <laughs> it's a coming, baby. But like, yeah, so I think it's funny that I don't know, like I when I can't remember who suggested the topic. I'll probably bring it up on the show proper, so it won't be they'll get their acknowledgement for sure. But the idea of trauma like traumatic gaming experiences. Like yeah. of course, most of the time people do scary games. And not not trauma games. Not not, trauma. Not, not, Unless not, that traumatized you not, or had like a weird experience. So not you. the Toxic Avengers for the NES. Or Toxic Crusaders for us younger or folks. Tox- yeah, you know, I, I don't think there's any other video games based off of trauma. Uh, maybe Attack of the Color Tomatoes. There might be an Attack of the... Is that trauma? Yes. Then there is. Because similar to Attack of the Killer um, similar to Toxic Crusaders, there was an Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon that was youngified for kids. Oh. And that got a cartoon. Okay. I mean, a video I, game. It was not trauma. But for some reason, my mind was like, yeah, of course. I mean, it's absurd. <laughs> it's gross-out humor. Yeah, it's like a lo- lo-fi silliness. But I don't, by my step, if I remember correctly, there wasn't a lot of, uh, like, adult violent humor no. in Killer Tomatoes. That, that was more just like, oh, that tomato ate him, but it's also <laughs> tomato, so it's just like ketchup everywhere. Yeah, I remember watching it when I was a kid and being like, okay, this is goofy enough to enjoy, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I didn't like tomatoes as a kid, so it was twice as scary. <sighs> don't want them coming after you. That's right. I don't even want to go after them, so leave me alone. It was actually a way for your your parents to get you into to want to eat tomatoes. They were like, "Well, look, I mean, they would kill you." No, but what she is, so you you go, you get them first. No, what my parents don't understand <laughs> is that due to my desire to not eat tomatoes, I could form a peace treaty with the angry tomato mob, <laughs> and then we, as a together fight, a unified group, would abolish ketchup forever. Uh, yeah, yeah. And sliced tomatoes, no dice. We'd have to come up with. You can't have marinara or tomato sauce on your pieces anymore. We'd have to switch over to something more, you know, ethical for the tomato folk. Yeah. It has to be like I don't know, yeah. pesto pizza only, <laughs> something like that, or maybe some kind of weird fruit spread. Do, like you, a think fig. The, do you do you think the killer tomatoes care at all about pizza, about human food? Well, yes, because we eat them. 
I mean, but do you think that they're like, well, they've changed how they eat pizza, so this this guy's got to be all right. Yes, they would, because that's the whole part of the Petri. Like, you don't eat us. We don't eat you. We have tomato communities for all, you know. <laughs> tomato, commu- tomato community. We'll have we'll have a, an abundance of right. swimming pools specifically to them so they can stay hydrated okay. on the days off, especially okay. during the summertime. You know, they'll molt a little quicker. You know, you can't have that. I'm and not. in the wintertime, you know, we'll keep their homes especially well But the, how are we going to explain the, the stack of V8 juice that I planted in your house? Well, first of all, you're trying to disrupt <laughs> tomato mankind peace by doing that, and you would pay dearly when I rat you out. But uh, otherwise, no, that, that, I would just explain it. I'd be friends with General, you know, you know, General Kumquat. Um, we'd be good. We'd be on good terms. Like, hey, man, I wouldn't lie to you. When's the last time you ever saw me eat a tomato? Well, explain this V8 juice. I'm pouring it down the drain right now. Well, how would they feel about my garden if they saw my tomato plants? First would they think all, that I'm like raising? tomatoes for my own or do they think they're like oh he's trying to eat us no you're trying to raise little tomato babies you no. want you want to support them and their endeavors no. by raising tomatoes now you're, you're the tactic you're talking about is the tactic that chick-fil-a would have in which they're trying to befriend all the cows how's that working out for them well they actually they're still terrible i don't know last <laughs> i checked they still have cows advertising for them so um, are they getting paid though I sure hope so. Maybe in I've Walsh heard. Or? I mean, I've read. I've read some some things online. Poultry, on, sultry on, things on Reddit. You know, the, the, those cows are not being taken care of. Well, it sounds like that's a labor board issue. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, we're a video game music. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week we're we're um, it's just me and Pernell. We're gonna, we're talking about the N sixty four. I will be talking less about the N sixty four because I have very little. Um, uh, just, I don't have I don't have a lot of experience with it. Whereas like, in my case, I have a surprising amount of experience with the, the N64. The N64 was like after the I got the PlayStation One, and then that was it for a long time until uh, me and Christy moved in together, and we got a really old PS2 when the PS3 was probably just coming out. Ooh. I did. My brother got an N64, like one of those like refurbed ones from uh, like GameStop or EB, like way way late in time, mm-hmm. and he got that and Pokemon Coliseum. I think that was it. I mean, he might have had a sports game, but like I didn't really play it. And my, I had some friends growing up that were really into playing GoldenEye. They were really into Mario Kart, which I didn't play a lot of. Because I only ever played the Super Nintendo one a whole lot. And they played, um, oh, what's the one, the weird one? Oh, all of them. <laughs> Another one where you're blowing up the cities. Oh, Blast Corps. Blast Corps. I, I want to say Blast Corps. I keep saying Corps because I was a child and it stuck with me. <laughs> the Blast Corps. Sounds like an amazing metal band. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> corpse. Uh, but yeah, like, but like watching them play it really, and Turok. Like, I mean, like, oh, okay, this is the N64, the weird controller, you know, it, that's okay. And then, like, that was about it. Never, never really saw it again. People like to talk. Well, first and foremost, I'll, I'll go back to my actual story proper after, but oh, wait, I got no, no. to address I that. At, I think I worked at EB when I was selling, we were selling Conkers. So I, I know that we were selling stuff for it. Yeah, Conker was, it was on its way out when but you I were never, at EB. I, but I never really played it, yeah. But, like, first of all, I stand by the belief that people said that controller was weird, and I get partially why, because of the whole idea of, like, it wasn't designed to use every button at one time. Mm. But when you held that controller, it was extremely comfortable. The only issue I had with it was that I wished that the space between the center stick and the right stick were a little farther apart. Yeah. But otherwise... When you actually actively use that controller, it felt great. Now, to put perspective yeah. on this, like my N64 has been in a box, and mm-hmm. then I'll talk about my N64 ownership in a bit. But it's been in a box for decades, like a, at least a decade. 
maybe a little more than a decade. Mm. Anyway, it's been in the box for a long time. But uh, last year, there was dialogue in regards to the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time Water Temple. You know, everybody oh, that's was right. saying yeah, how yeah. it was the most impossible dungeon, it's the hardest dungeon you in the Legend of Zelda. took that thing right out of the box. Yeah, I was like, I can't believe that. I don't remember the Water Temple being as hard as everyone claims, and I just don't get it. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of having this argument. I'm going to dig out my N64. I'm going to see if I have a save file close to the Water Temple, and I'm going to do it. And fortunately, somehow, out of having three save files with data on them, one of them was in the middle of the Forest Temple, which is before the Water Temple. So having not played Ocarina of Time since 1999, <laughs> I am booting this game up, relearning the game halfway through the game, <laughs> and just playing it. And I got to the Water Temple. And what I came to realize is that the level, the thing that made it tough was just... It wasn't even the layout of the map, though. You got you because you had to get used to it. It was a lot of stupid raising the water up and down. <sighs> was it the camera? No. So the idea behind it was that... Uh, so you're going to describe the water temple for me now. You'd better believe it. <laughs> okay. So the just, water temple... Just getting ready. I'm holding on. I got my tea. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny because I actually have to see if I can do a good job of describing the place. So <sighs> you enter it after getting an item called the Iron Boots, which allows you to sink to the ocean floor and walk across the water. Right, right. Immediate death. Got it. No, you have you have clothing that lets you breathe in the water because that makes sense. Well, yeah. Oh. It, uh, sorry. So, okay, hold on. You got the boots. You have the boots. You have a, you have a new shirt. Oh, you have a new shirt. That lets you breathe underwater. Oxygen shirt. Oxygen shirt. Got it. They never made sense to Link, me. Link, you are a genius. He is a genius. No, the Zora. They're the geniuses. They, they wove him a shirt All right, out of their gills. Right, I'll, I'll stop interrupting you. <laughs> it's okay. Mm -hmm. So you walk in, and the whole idea behind this place is that it's a submerged temple that comp is composed of three different floors, essentially, three different levels. Mm -hmm. And throughout the dungeon, there are switches planted that allow you to raise and lower the water. Right. But each switch only sends the water in a specific force uh, direction. So let's say, for example, you're on the bottom floor, yeah, you yeah. switch and moves to the second. It's a puzzle. If you somehow screw up and forget to do something that you wanted to do when the water was at the first level and you move it to the second, in order to go back and remedy that, you have to go find the switch that moves it to the third level, oh, move it then back. go find the switch that brings it to the first level, and then try again. So one mistake will cost you dearly for time, and that annoyed the tar out of well, me. Well, that's that's a problem with a lot of these... A lot, a lot of games of this era in which what we had to go on was the classic video games they're building off of, right? And arcade games. And what would they say if if you died in a game or if you lost in a game and you restarted? You have to restart from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what's the penalty? The, the penalty is your life, is time. <laughs> it's time. And so that's what they're doing in this game. It's like the penalty for, for getting this puzzle wrong is your life. <laughs> and they take and they just drain it away from you. But I'll tell you something else though too. Though I also <laughs> gotta mention the one thing that I do genuinely believe is like truly can kiss my butt in yeah. this dungeon. But uh the other thing worth noting is that for those who are too young to be able to have not been around at the time, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is probably our first major example of a 3D dungeon. Right. Um and I'm not saying necessarily just the Zelda scope of 3D dungeons, I mean a 3D environment that you explore. We had Tomb Raider before this, the first Tomb Raider, but that one, as you know, I feel like that counts too. The, the Tomb Raider and Legend of Zelda were like pretty much the first big ones to me where it's like, I'm in an enclosed space that's yeah. composed of multiple rooms and puzzles. I'll go with that. Yeah, because yeah, Tomb Raider was, it was definitely 
there. Yes. Like, like, like a, a third person perspective. Oh, enclosed, yeah. interconnected rooms. Right. And it got frustrating sometimes. So that was back when, just like I told you about Super Metroid, and how I was like, don't look up a guide. You're learning the ropes. Same with those two. Like back then, you were learning the ropes at the game. So you were like, well, this is how you get better. And then you start playing later dungeons. Like, this has nothing on the water tipple. The water tipple was the one because that was when you were cutting your baby teeth. But then Dark Link shows up, who's the mid boss of the dungeon. And he is so tattered, rags, busted, broken. I hated him frustrated the crap out of me and i ended up cheesing him somehow i can't remember what i did and i stumbled across it by accident you know when you get that that's just a little gift yeah, so i needed the gift little, because gamer, he's impossible little gamer, little gamer gift i needed it because he's impossible otherwise <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he just that was an example of a game doing too good of a job of creating a mimic monster because he's literally your shadow and he just walks up and just like mauls you. <laughs> it's not even funny like how am i supposed to be i can defend against him no problem but the moment i tried to counter it was like I'm more aggressive than you, nerd boys. So, the controller. I want to talk a little bit more about the controller. When, or just because I'm curious, the the PlayStation uh, Dual Thumbstick that came the analog was after came after. So really, like Nintendo was just trying something out. So like something new. Fun fact, and I, I stand by this firmly. Nintendo did the primary. Did the majority of controller pioneering in the video game industry. I was going to say, like, like, like they, they did the analog stick crawl so that PlayStation and could Microsoft analog could walk. run. Yeah, like a or walk. run. I, th- I mean... Same I, with I, Waggle. <laughs> with Waggle, yeah, yeah. The, I feel like the, the PlayStation controller, for me, is it fits the best in my hand. But, like, let's say, but for you, you have considerably larger hands than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, remarkably larger hands than I do. So the the N sixty four controller it still felt did it still feel good? It still felt fine in the adult hands. In the adult hands, it still works. However, current model controllers, it's weird. But I still believe firmly. It took me years to come to this realization. But the Xbox Series X controller is the most comfortable fit controller for mm. me. Though I still have a fondness for DualShock it's a little, two and a little wider. If it's like it's like if they took a Dreamcast controller, kind of mashed it into a PlayStation controller, mm-hmm. kind of fleshed it out. And it's funny too because like DualShock One, I can I don't like it. DualShock mm-hmm. Two, I'm kind of okay with. DualShock Three, atrocious. DualShock Four and Five, that's when Sony finally really gets it right. Hmm. It's like, and that comes to people might be hearing us, like, but they're mostly the same. But I'm like, the size changed. The size, the size changed. made got, all little, the difference. Got a little bigger because they yeah. were they were adding more things to it. I just wish they didn't. Like, I, I don't know a PlayStation Five, but before we start with the topic, my gripe with the PlayStation Four is the share button and the options button. Yeah, they're dumb names. They're the share dumb. button, admittedly, is okay only because they only use it for sharing. I know. Things. For me, it's like I'm never going to click that button ever in my life and if I do it's a mistake and I'm wondering what the hell happened on my screen <laughs> like, like I've never seen these menus in my life um, and then like who's trying to share my data and then the options button it's like just give me something to start just call it start start or you know anything no, I'll admit anything I, I it's, not, hard, it's hard to click I do get not calling it start anymore though because the vast majority of video games went away from press start to begin and it was like press X or press A yeah. so it's like they is it just, really a start button they could give it a shape then what kind of shape are they? They could even an emoji. Dodecahedron. An emoji. It's like a little little crying face. I emoji. want to press the dodecahedron. <laughs> the dodecahedron button. button on that one. Yeah. You want you want a, you want an octagon. Press the dodo button. That's a dodo button. Or dodeca. Dodo button to start. <laughs> we're gonna start the podcast, everybody. So we're gonna listen to fantastic music from the N64. Um, all of my tracks are Western composers. Mine. You know what? Funny part is, no, I can't. 
Can't do I, it. I came really <laughs> close, though, in my defense. We're going to start with music from the game Tetrisphere for the N64 from Neil D. Voss. This track is called Flim Flam. everybody you're listening to the game tetrasphere for the n64 this is by neil d voss this is an acid house jam of a jam i'm loving this music yeah tetrasphere from what i know is known for having a very exceptional ost uh and also i wish i could remember who was saying it, it might have been cameron worma but i remember someone saying with great you know, you know exclaim exclaim that this game is like probably one of the best puzzle games ever made. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I personally am okay with Tetris Sphere, but I didn't play a ton it, of it. It's cool. I mean, it is really cool. It, it is Tetris on the Sphere. But it drives me crazy. <laughs> it's like, move around, find a place. It's almost like, it's got like Wetrix levels of frustration yeah, for yeah. me. But for me, like like in a 3D perspective like that, it's hard to tell like volume, right? Like you can't tell like how, how close it is to, the, to you for the perspective if you're looking straight at it, you know? You do get used to it because mm-hmm. the depth has ways of appearing or showing itself. Like, if you have a spot to the side of it that's got, like, a, it goes down deep and then the spot to the right of it is actually tall, mm. you can kind of spot the depth by way of just, like, wow, that hole goes way down. <laughs> Why doesn't this panel do that? So it's like, that's when you start to freak out because you can kind of see the depth based on how low other sections are. And also, when you spin it around, if it's like off to the side, like if it's coming towards you on the spin, oh, that would you help. can see yeah. it spanning out. We're like, oh, I gotta clear that out. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. And this whole soundtrack is is, a, is almost exactly like this. Mm-hmm. It's very real sounding, like club music of the time, and like then, a- acid house club music. So I mean, he's clearly sampled. There's been using this this uh, 303 noise, and that sounds like a 909 drum kick. Like it's really really cool. Um, Neil Neil DeVos. Uh, is a uh, definitely a demo scene person working on the Commodore 64, as I've just read. I was like, I'm like I've, no, I've seen this name before. Um, but I didn't know this. He earned best soundtrack from Nintendo Power for this game. Really? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it shouldn't surprise me. In 1997. After, <laughs> I didn't realize they, well, I guess they did have the Nintendo Power Awards, like they did it every year, but it shouldn't surprise me that they got an award, but I will say it surprises me. It's good. Day. It sounds really good, too. I, I mean, I, I'm always listening to N- Nintendo 64 music and being, like, underwhelmed by the quality of it. Like, just the, the audio quality of, of the music. Well, it's, it's I think of it more like, uh, say, Game Boy Advance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where people will listen to the Game Boy Advance, and then audio files will go, here's a game track from the Game Boy Advance, but we cleaned it up. I'm like, no, dirty it again, man. I don't want this clean well, garbage. They're, they're using, they have to use the space on the cartridge. So if they left enough space on the cartridge for this audio, then they have the, they, they can put the better quality sounds on there. Yeah, but you that's know? the thing. It's like, when you play a, a console, like, not so much, like, there's a difference between, like, listening to OSTs outside of the experience and listening to them during the experience. When you get used to something and you hear it enough, you become accustomed to the sound that you get. And heaven forbid, you end up liking it too. So when someone comes along and says, we took this track and cleaned it up, you're like, no, no, you're the like, charm is how dirty it was. You're like you're like those people who are obsessed with uh, with vinyl records. Yes, I was going to make that exact you're tangent. You're like, like, oh no, it's you need that dirty sound. Like, like that sound we got all the crackle and pop off. Like, like, like put like, it back. Like it might fall off the thing, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's that sound. I'm like, yeah, it's like your Game Boy Advance just... You know, they didn't give enough processing cycles to the sound chip, so it sounds like butt. Yes, yeah. just the way I like it. <laughs> I like tracks that sound like butt. No, no, I, I get it. It's and it's, it's the. I don't. I don't think the composers intended for the end product to have that sound. People recording music for vinyl records, on the other hand, they knew because they had to record it a very and master it a very specific way in order to cut the record. So they they intended for it to sound that way. I don't think they intended for the music on the Game Boy Advance to sound like But I'll that. say it like this. I'll put it this way. Pokemon has had nine generations. And if I'm wrong, and this, actually, no, I'm still right, because the next game is going to be the ninth gen. So mm-hmm. it's had nine generations across, it's like 1996, which right. is when it came out in Japan. I still feel my the soundtrack for Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald on the Game Boy Advance is my favorite in the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it stems from 
that Game Boy Advance sound and also trumpets. <laughs> Something about the trumpets. The trumpet, the trumpets sound good. Yeah, I like the trumpets. It gets massive jokes on the internet all the time. It's like Pokemon trumpets. Um, more trumpets. And also they got that, that the infamous IGM review. Like, too much water, 9 out of 10. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I... I too love much, too much water. Too much water because the Ruby Sapphire map had a lot of water areas. You had to use like Pokemon with dive and surf oh, quite I mean, frequently, and they were like, "This is too much water. I want to be able to walk around, not to constantly have a surfing Pokemon in my in my team yeah. to get around." I'm like, I like dealing with fighting swimmers. I was gonna say like, yeah, it's like part of the strategy, right? Like, oh, you gotta you gotta have Pokemon for right time. That's right. It's always the right time for Pokemon. Oh yeah, I'm trying to remember who the, the HM slave was in Pokemon Ruby Sapphire. What was a bit. I, I want to say that. Doof. Oh, HM Slave? So, in the old games, well, you played the older ones. You played black and like, like, red and blue. That's all I played. So, you remember how you had Pokemon that could like, fly and use like, Rock Smash yeah. and all that? So, the idea of an HM Slave was a Pokemon that could learn the vast majority of HM moves, and you kept them in your team specifically. HM moves. Oh, that stands for Hidden Machine. So, that's how you learn things like fly and surf. And, and those, are hidden, those are hidden machines. Those are hidden machines. You get those by doing certain endgame events and then beating oh, gym leaders. Like so, you, you have moves. one Pokemon that's just that's like your Swiss Army knife. Yes. That's a better name for a Pokemon. No, HM Slave is the traditional <laughs> name. Traditional name. But eventually, the best one became Bidoof. 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 Oh, Bidoof. Bidoof became your guy. He became the grade A HM Slave because he was decent. He had the look. He had the look, man. <laughs> he had, he the, had look. the look. He had to look like the guy that was like, all right, I'll take you across this water. Okay, I'll fly you over the mountain. That's right. Not too much fly. He had no wings. But yeah. he could do anything ground and water so, related. Oh, so he couldn't like, like I would imagine like he would like toss you in the air. <laughs> Just juggle you. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Throw you like a football. <laughs> all right, what's, what's your first track? Okay, so for my first track, I want to pick from... The game Excite Bike 64. This is a track for, I guess, on the soundtrack, it's just called Kyoto Japan, which is surprising. I think they play this in other stadium levels too. But anyway, um, it's composed by Matt Furness and Chris Lamb. Mm. Quite possibly the very first time in the history of this show that I personally picked a track by Matt Furness. That, that, and it's not Genesis. It's not Genesis. <laughs> so I went all in. That's really good. 
Sarah Sugar Hill with the whole shot. Actually, okay, that's not actually the name of the track. <laughs> this is actually Kyoto Japan from the game Excite Bike 64, composed by Matt Furness and Chris Lamb. But what I did say is something that I used to always look forward to in the game. I used to play with my friend Anthony back in the day, where every character in the game had ridiculous names like Sarah Sugar Hero or Jumpin' Jim Rivers. <laughs> every time they oh, got so they, they would like shout the names out? Yeah, like they would have... I can't remember what the whole shot meant, but I want to say it referred to me either getting a good jump or getting first place. But the announcer would just like put emphasis on specific names. <laughs> and again, Jumpin' Jim Rivers was my favorite. Go, jumpin', Jumpin' Jim Rivers <laughs> with the whole shot. Um, the, so, so I know Excitebike on the NES. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And you're you're managing your speed along with like a turbo, which can overheat your bike. Mm-hmm. And there was a cool like stage editor. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did they have the similar things going on in in the Excitebike '64? Yeah, and that's why people hated on it so much. Because here's the thing. Really? Yeah. So Excitebike Classic. People have tons of fond memories of Excitebike. But they tend to forget or wash away the frustration that also came oh, it's hard. with Excite Bike. Because between the management you said, I, if I remember correctly, there was also managing your bike tilt too. Yes. So all that transfers over to Excite Bike 64, but now it's the 3D and it's from behind the back. <laughs> so are you still managing the tilt of your yes. wheel? Yes. Oh, interesting. And you will crash over and over <laughs> and over again. And I. Over, it was a small window mm-hmm. where I felt like I could manage it. And I was actually getting doing well on some of the higher level races in the game. Yeah. Because Anthony and I would push ourselves to get <laughs> better because we got competitive against each other. But throughout all of it, there was lots of complaining too because you couldn't treat it like an arcade racer. You had to treat it like uh, not a sim. It's like a, It was like a weird cross between arcade racer and sim because you weren't customizing the bike from what I remember. So, the bike, you, so the bike stayed the same. The bike stayed the same unless you chose like higher difficulty, which involved like added a little bit of speed to okay. the bikes. Though the game also just made the racers harder when you chose harder. Oh, I'm sure. Too. Do you remember if there was a level editor? I don't believe there was yeah, a level probably editor. Probably not. In the game, I think but. I think playing a level editor in a 3D game at the time probably would have been. Oh yeah, before struggled, man. Heck, yeah. for those who don't even remember how bad it is for struggled, <laughs> yeah. four-player Mario Kart 64 cut the music out because it couldn't handle all of it oh, at once. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, did, I wouldn't surprise there's other games that did it too, but Mario 64 is the Mario Kart 64 is the one that stands up the most is mm-hmm. like wanting to play versus. But then having this like silent game where every time I got a rule, it was like, that's all you can hear. Yahoo! I got to tell you, this music, is this representative of the rest of the soundtrack? Not exactly. In fact, this was my favorite track in the game. And when every other track was playing, I would go, why am I listening? Why am I not listening to Kyoto Japan? What's this other track? Interesting. Not to say the other tracks were bad. But this was the coup de grace. It's, it's got a cool, like, really driving, like, kind of punk. Or is that or should I say piece de resistance? Which, whatever, whatever one. This is two. this is your this is your top. This is number one. This is my maison d'etre. Yeah, this is this is <laughs> this is my poor use of French words. This is your Deus Machina. That's my Deus Machina. There this we go. It, yeah. Um, but no, I really like it because to me, it sounds like it's it sounds like this is this band I used to really enjoy in the early two thousands called the Asian Dub Foundation, and they have like. They use like this heavy guitars, and um, in the background you can kind of hear um, the Amen break um, mixed with all like these like heavy like hardcore drums and, and guitar. Sounds really good, like all together. And I, I love the way like it cuts out and brings it back in. It's it's um it's almost like a really stark change 
I I'll wonder who I wonder who recorded the guitar on this too, because this this sounds like someone played the guitar and put it into the game. I just love I yeah. I just love I love this track so much, and I also just want to chuckle, get a quick chuckle moment out of this, because I don't think I picked any other tracks here that use this nomenclature. Yeah. But the fact that Nintendo was like, you know what? We're going to name all of our games something 64. They because did. Because on our yeah. Super Nintendo, everything was super something. So we have to keep it rolling. So we have Excite Bike 64 and Mario 64 and Kirby 64 and Marshmallow 64. And it just ran it. And then the Wii came out. If I remember correctly, the, no, the GameCube was the GameCube after this. GameCube, they didn't do that with it. That's when they finally cut yeah. the brakes. Super Mario Cube. <laughs> yeah. they, went, they went the other way. Actually, I'm going to lie. I feel like I'd have been happy if they did they that. They went the other way because they did Galaxy, and Galaxy is all spheres. Spheres? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, like, thinking back on Oh, just to catch the back, because people have given me crap on it. No. Uh, Galaxy was the Wii, but... Oh, man, I didn't play these games. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm covering <laughs> our bases here. I try, I'm not trying to get the EB treatment. I got you, EB! Uh, but now, like... Uh, yeah, Mario Sunshine was the GameCube one. Oh, Sunshine! He was—he became a, ja- a global, you know, Enviro janitor. Yeah, which that's I still—I right. w- missed that premise. People hated on Mario Sunshine, but I personally thought that was a nice twist. I only wish he had power-ups, but the water pack and manipulating that and yeah. spraying all the junk off of the ground—that was a lot of fun to me. Yeah, I like that. He becomes um, Jetpack Man. Um, Rocky had a rocket pack. He had a jet yeah. boost, and he had a thrust. Nice. I thinking about? Oh yeah, I was thinking about. I was thinking about Mario Galaxy. Anyway, <laughs> Mario Galaxy was a gem, though. Anyway, about games with sixty-four in the title. How about Ridge Racer for the N sixty-four? Ridge Racer. Oh well, that'll be a fun one to talk about. The so this one episode. is called Ridge Racer sixty-four. <laughs> uh, this is called Manual Override, and the composer we have is Keith Aram.
tasty track. This is from Ridge Racer 64. The track is called Manual Override, and it's by the composer Keith Aram, who did all the music to Ridge Racer 64, which took some tracks from um, other Ridge Racer games, kind of made it its own thing on the 64, on the N64 for now. I feel like I want to make a list of this, because I know there were a couple games that did this where in order to get some of that sweet, sweet Nintendo money, because even though other systems were kind of more powerful, because CD, um, basically the CD media was cheaper to um, produce right. than cartridges, more games were able, they were able to produce and put out more games on consoles like PlayStation and Saturn. But to get some of that sweet, sweet Nintendo money nonetheless, some companies were taking to taking their properties on the other consoles, kind of parsing them down or doing what they get, doing combo packs yeah. so and calling them blank 64. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, honestly, I had no idea Ridge Racer had a Nintendo 64 counterpart because I only knew about it on the PlayStation. And in fact, like looking at this, like I would have been probably a little confused because even on the cover, because I think it was like after Ridge Racer two or three, they brought in like um, like spokesmodels, mm-hmm. like the 3D like girls on the cover. Yeah, and it was the same girl on this one that was on I think on Ridge Racer one. On, on Ridge, oh, Ridge Racer Evolution. Uh, t- yeah, Evolution. Yeah, and I think also Type Four. No, yeah, no, was Type dumb. Four had a model, but I can't remember if it was her or not. Yeah, it might be the same, but it's the same model or not. But, but um, the thing about it is, like Ridge Racer sixty four. But you see her, like, and I'm like, that's Ridge Racer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's. But the thing is, like, this game was basically just a combo pack of tracks from two games. Yeah. So I think they added a few extra tracks, you know, to kind of season it a bit. But for the most part, it's like a combo pack of tracks from two games. Yeah, but we like it, it's sixty four now. Yeah, but so they must have like just kind of redone it for the hardware, and they added a completely different soundtrack. Which so it has its own OST? Yeah, this is Ooh. different, I believe, from the other one. Ooh. I believe. I can appreciate God. that. God, I hope I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, this is a Namco jam. There's, I think there's a, this This is music. Oh, I actually have a list of oh, oh, of where the tracks are played. Uh, I'll say I had a list where the tracks are played. <laughs> yeah, so we're listening to um, a Manual Override. So this is the BGM for the credits. Oh, it's the end of the game? It's the end of the game, yeah. Oh, but there's like a Pac-Man episode, or episode uh, stage. There's a Mario-themed stage, and there's like Mario music that plays on it. There's a Mario-themed stage yeah, in the game. Yeah, well, that's yeah. pretty cool. That's, that's pretty cool. That's how they made it Nintendo-y. Yeah. Nintendo's known for that, too. Like they would be like, hey, here's a game, but you can unlock a Zelda uh, Link mm. costume. That makes it ours, right? You can get a fighter in Mario overalls. That's right. It's just Ryu, but he's wearing overalls. <laughs> it's Ryu in the overalls. Did they do that? Uh, not with Ryu, but they definitely have been fighting games where it was like, hey, you can like wear Samus's power armor right, as a costume, right, right. and that makes it our yeah, product. Just play Smash Brothers. You can you can live the fantasy of Mario and Luigi fighting it out, sibling style. Oh, but back then, no one wanted to play Smash Brothers. They got, I remember flat out when it got released, I went to Christiansburg um, Electrum Software Center to buy it. And Software, etc. And I was like, what is this? It's a Mario fighting game? And the guy that comes like, it looks pretty stupid. I don't know what they're thinking with this. Nintendo is just not good at this. I'm like, it looks like fun to me. It came out at the right time, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. The yeah. four-player controller setup. People were looking for yeah. fresh stuff. And the N64 was... That's right. I feel like no matter what point in that life this, that system was at, it's always like it was hurting for games, even if I do have like 30 of them at home now at this point. But I always felt like it was hurting for games when compared to PlayStation. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. when good games dropped or when experimental or games that made you look and go, what is this? When they dropped, you felt something. Like when Mario Party 1 came out, I had no idea what that was going to be. And I wanted to find out like a a board game, video game that's not Monopoly? I, 
I'm buying this today. And I take it back to the dorm. Like, what is this? Like, it's a Mario board game. On the S D four, we gotta play this. And then we all hated each other. It was great. Yeah, and then it destroyed the friendships. And you don't talk to those people anymore. In fact, we haven't seen them since. <laughs> for now. Well, yeah, because if they found out where, where I lived, they would kill tonight? me for the whole the great coin and star debacle of nineteen ninety eight. It was not a good time. Yeah, it was a, it was like an earthquake. Oh yeah. In Delaware. That's it was nineteen ninety nine. Don't shoot me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was an interesting I I missed days like that, man, because I didn't like college kicked the crap out of me because I was broke and I didn't know what my major oh, was going to be. The N64 was like the college machine. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. People, I used to have my N64. So most normal people in college, everyone got their stack of drawers and you put your clothes in them and stuff like that. I was the weird guy on campus. My top three clothes drawers were game consoles that you pulled out and I ran the cables out the back of the drawers. <laughs> my clothes were all in the closet and under the bed. So people would come to my dorm room. I had a 27-inch TV. I had video yeah. game consoles in the drawers. I just pulled them. What are we playing today? SD4, boom, boom. Cables coming out, running across the room. And people were playing stuff. People, I would come back from class, yeah. and people were in my room playing <laughs> my stuff. Like, oh, about time you came back. When are you going to get on the game? And that, I, That's an education. Yeah, that, and, yeah. And, and, and that's why I ended up coming home. <laughs> But like I do have, I genuinely do have fun. I mean, that's the beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You still have the, you know, excellent memories of, of that time. And the thing about yeah. it is, like, you yeah. lay it on the table, and I stand by this belief. Like, generally, I find myself regretting going to that school because of how much money it costs and how much I didn't get out of it education-wise. Because I didn't even stick with that major. I went to computers after, mm. but at that school I was at biochemistry. But despite that, the trajectory of my social life spawned specifically from my time at Virginia Tech. Mm. And I'm still friends with some of the people I met there. In the 90s, like uh, MAGFest, the whole thing there. Met the people that I know there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, beginning, N- the, the very- number one in our Patreon. I met him through Virginia That's right. Tech. Uh, MAGFest started around that time, right? Um, A little after that. Oh. But I, the people that were a part of that that I met, um, I met them through my time at That's that amazing. school. There was yeah. a guy in the dorms who saw my game collection and said, I know a guy, I, you gotta meet him. Yeah. He, he, You and him will get along so well because you have like similar taste in games. So he drove me to like his hometown of Roanoke mm. just to introduce me to this friend of his and ended up being Joe, who was the founder of Meg. Right. So it was just like- I remember you telling me stories about like running around getting like consoles and putting them in things. And oh God, yes. Yeah, it sounded like, it sounded like Yeah, it sounded like a nightmare. Oh, we should- Keep moving on then. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me put a rob on that. All right, so what's your second track? All right, so my next track is a game that you wouldn't have thought I liked or would have played, but you also know the great Institute 4 Trout that came on early in that console's life. So this is the game Torok Dinosaur Hunter, oh, yeah. and the track title, to my understanding at least, is called Ancient City, and it was composed by Darren Mitchell.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ancient City from the game Turok, Dinosaur Hunter for the Institute 4, because of course this is the Institute 4 episode, right. composed by Darren Mitchell. So, well, I, I always love this track. Like, that goes without saying. My memory might be a little off, but I'm pretty sure this starts playing on, like, the third area of the game you get to. And I it stuck with me for, you know, from 1997 to, well, the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> this one track. This one track is, though. This yeah. one track. I don't remember any other music from this game except maybe the first area theme. And that one I only remember being, like, hmm. generic and, like, nature sounds interlaced with, like, some drums. Yeah, but this is, like, some... Heavy drums mixed with like a few little sound effects though. So this this one really kind of caught you, huh? Oh, it's a jammer. And, and also, a, I remember the area being yeah. foggy because that was always a running <laughs> joke. Like we got our mask, you know, processing power. Let's just throw some fog I'm, in there. I'm reading about the development of this game, and they had a hard time figuring on the eight meg cartridge. Oh yeah, that's yeah. where the fog comes in. They yeah. use a lot of fog to hide, you know, things loading. <laughs> so it didn't start with Silent Hill, folks. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of compression. Although it's interesting is that the game did use real-time lighting effects, which is a, a new thing at the time, mm-hmm. and motion capture on some of the characters. I remember watching a friend play this. Like, one of the cool things was, like, where they shot a character with an arrow. Like, they could bleed out or they go, oh, yeah, like, they, they, they move, yeah, they would move in different ways. And, like, that was really novel at the time. And, like, this game, I wouldn't have bought it under normal circumstances and I'm glad for reasons like this that the circumstances weren't normal. What am I talking about? Well, so the Institute 4 was the very first game console I purchased with my own money from my first job. I got paid very poorly for an entire summer's worth of hard, under-the-sun, outdoor labor. Mm. But it was just enough to buy the Institute 4, Mario, and Pilot Wings. Nice. Which is convenient because those were the only games that came out when the system launched. It was a very, very poor launch. But those two games were enough to say, this is what you wanted it for, so buy it anyway. Right. Um, but then games kind of trickled out very, very slowly. I'm talking like, yeah. I want to say like the third game to release on the system was Cruising USA in like that November. Well, this came out in 97. This game came out in 97. Yes. And it is the first third-party game to be developed for the N64. Was it? Yeah. That explains a lot, and it does make sense because yeah. the ones I remember coming before this were Mario Pilot Wings. Right. Then there was Cruising USA in November. Cruising. So keep in mind, Mario and Pilot Wings came out that September. Right. Cruising came out in November. Shadows of the Empire Star Wars came out in December. Oh. And for those who don't know me, I do not like Star Wars, and I never liked Star Wars, but I bought Shadows of the Empire. You want to know why? Because I was desperate for new games on my N64. <laughs> that was supposed to be... I, I remember people really enjoying that one. Right? Oh, it was that, good. That was a good one, yeah. It was, yeah. but that goes to show. Like, if it weren't for the drought, I wouldn't have bothered. I would have just been like, I don't like Star Wars. I'm not even going to try it. Mm. But the fact that I needed something new just made me say, I'm just going to buy it and see what yeah, it's I like, and I- had fun. Yeah. Turok was another one like that. That came out early the next year. I want to say it was like March... Oh, I don't remember yeah, for sure, so, but I want to say it was like March. So this is pre pre Goldeneye. Yes, um, pre Goldeneye. First person 3D shooter on the N64. But the thing that made Goldeneye stick out was the fact that it was multiplayer. M- multiplayer, and I th- and for for me it was the controller um, uh, c- configuration options. Mm-hmm. So I'm, not, I'm trying to remember if Gotorok had a multiplayer, but I don't recall it having it. Seems how, Evil did. How how was the control? Do you remember, do you remember all the control scheme for Turok? Like, did you, like, you use, like, your right thumb on the analog stick, or did you not I use? do remember it being pretty stupid. Because uh, so the logic behind the NC4 controller's design was for 
games that involve 3D movement to have you hold the center thumbstick so you can maneuver the analog and then use the trigger button and then the buttons on the right. But for some reason, I recall Turok doing that, but it also had you manipulate the cross pad to do actual in-game functions. Oh. So you were kind of doing like this weird thing where you kind of jump your hand around to do specific things. Well, for things. you, it wouldn't be that hard because your thumb is so huge. It doesn't have that far, th come on, have that man. far to go. I have a big thumb. I don't have a freaking mutated limb. <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't yeah. I can't just lunge my thumb Imagine from the, the, the analog like to the cross. Flat like foot of a thumb. Blorp. Yeah, Blorp. Yeah. Like, like, nah, I can't flop my thumb like that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, people who wanted to play Turok adjusted to the game control schema and made it work. And I was one of those people. I actually finished Turok. This was probably the first FPS I actually finished because I did play Doom back in the day. Yes. But everyone played Doom. It was the thing that you did in high school or middle right. school. Now, have you ever played like a full 3D shooter before this one? Like Doom. Doom. Like, do, you know, so, no, I mean full 3D. Because Doom, Doom didn't. Oh, no. Yeah. I want to say this was the first. This is the first Because yeah. Mars 4 was the first full 3D platformer. So, contrary to what people like to say, no, Crash was not. Crash was Sony saying, we need something that can take some of the heat kick some of the sun off of Mario. Here's a bandicoot. It's 3D platforming, but it was all tunnels. Uh it was either back it was either coming from the inside to the from the background to the foreground, mm -hmm. foreground to the background or left to right, right uh, to left. Okay. But it was never the full 3D. But they did that thing kind of like with Donkey Kong Country on Super Nintendo was like, "We can compete with PlayStation. Look, shiny leaves." Um it just kind of threw buzzwords out there. I'm like, this this is about as good as that. I just looked up. I remember playing Duke Nukem 3D on a computer, and that was that was probably my first like 3D shooter experience, and all was downhill from there. But um, but yeah, but no, that so that came out in '96, and this came out in '97. So there, so what there was precedent before that, but not on a console. I still chuckle. You mentioned console. Duke Nukem because I'm not mistaking, like maybe a year or two after this, if not even like year, yeah, year or two after this, people were pre-ordering Duke Nukem Forever. Oh, for, wait, that one never came out, right? No, it came out, but it came out in like 2016 or 2015. <laughs> some crazy late year. And I remember a guy posted on the internet, he used his original Duke Nukem Forever 90s pre-order slip to pick up his 2015 copy of the game. That's amazing. I, I, I knew there was something around that. I didn't know that whole story. That's, it's, that's hilarious. I can't remember off the top. There's one other game that comes close to having like a lengthy pre-order duration from like pre-order to release. But that is like the big one where it was like Duke Nukem Forever is like a running joke on magazines like, oh, it's like Duke Nukem Forever. It's coming. Just got to believe and that it did. And the game didn't do well in reviews. But it was like, it doesn't matter. It gotta, actually came out. Well, you got to believe. All right. Um, my last track. What am I going to do? Oh, man. How 90s are we going to be here? Very, very 90s. All right. We're going to we might say, oh, man. No, I really don't know. If I might want to play this in the bonus round. It's from Killer Instinct Gold, which is Killer Instinct 2. Gold! On the N64. Beautiful gold! Nuggets as big as your fist, pal. That's right. But we're not. No, we're not going to do Killer Instinct. Not today. Oh. Not today. No gold! We're going Rush to Extreme Racing USA for the Nintendo 64. Because it's got another one of my favorite uh, composers, Barry Leach, doing. Uh, he's playing. This, this track is called Low Riding. Gotta do something. Which is the, uh, the music for the Los Angeles stage. Los Angeles. So we're at. Let's let's get low.
it's not exactly low rider, but it's it's a pretty cool track. It's got deep. A, got a good soul. Really like this one. This one is low riding the Los Angeles music from Brush to Extreme Racing USA for the N64 by Barry Leach. This is a cool track. I can't stop like yeah yeah that 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 bass is definitely a little uh it's talky it's a talky bass. Well, I like the talking bass. It makes me feel Ooh, good. Oh, actually, hold on, hold on a second. We got a new whole section here. Oh no, no, we don't. It was <laughs> just that. that what bass, the same. That bass was talking back, and I was like, "Oh snap!" The bass talked back. But at least it's good. <laughs> it's more. At least it's good. The same. Yeah. It's not bad. Same. It's good. Same. San Francisco Rush, Rush the Rock, Rush 2064. Rush was big, 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 big in the late 90s. Bigger than Curly Fry. It was bigger than Grimace. Nothing's bigger than Grimace. You watch your tongue. <laughs> who's going who's to make, make me? The Ronald McDonald? The, the, the hamburger? Do you really want to bring that hammer the, down the, on this the, show? The, 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 do the, you want... The Mayor McCheese? Do you want Mayor McCheese to get all up in your grill? Because he will. I can I can take him. No, you can't. I could eat him. Well, you could. Well, I mean, the Grimace is just a big, like, But here's the thing. Right? You got to cook him first, or otherwise <laughs> it's going to go down poorly. You're going to get sick, and he's not going to give you time to bust out I that grill and out. flip him over... You know, five times each way for eating cooking phenomenon. Yeah, you know, it's not gonna work. I can take care of Mary McCheese. No, He's no. already a hamburger. No body, no evidence. No, no. <laughs> delecta, delecta body, no, no, delecta no. evidence. No body, no crime. <laughs> get, oh. rid of, get rid of that. Get rid of that hamburger, man. You do the crime. You do the grimy tongue. I don't know. I just, oh. I just miss McDonald's characters. Yeah. Which, by the way, you hear about those freaking uh, the baskets and the. Um, they had, they brought back the old baskets, a basket. which from Halloween, okay, which was from Nostalgia Ground. But they also had those weird adult toys, which were oh. like based off of an old like a one of those like artsy uh, art toys, kind of like Toki Doki toys. Oh, and I was like wondering that. what they were. These things were like double eyes, which always makes me go cross-eyed looking at them. I don't, I never figured out why. It, it just makes me wonder what they were thinking from marketing. It was like we need some adult toys that were really bringing the McDonald's heads. Uh, what, the what, McDonald's what, has. what appeals to adults? Where is this weird indie toy company that has yeah, dual-eyed? Ex- no, all the exclusive toy. All right, there you go. It, it produced by, I'm sure Funko had a hand in that with the vinyl and the toys. Actually, now you got me wondering if they were like kind of like a, like a shadow. A could shadow be, it could be, yeah, yeah. This, 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 Funko Pop is out there, you know, pulling the strings on McDonald's. Hey, actually, they make me like McDonald's a little more, <laughs> I guess. Maybe not. Give me a McDonald's board game where you play with actual fries. Man, I used to play so much Rush. We had, uh, it was eight cabinets linked together. No, no, it was six cabinets linked together for San Francisco Rush. And then we got Rush the uh, Rush the Rock and then Rush 2064. But it was one of the first games where I had like a keypad and you can save your your your, uh, your records and your status on the machine. See, your, your, That's pretty cool. Your San Francisco Rush story is way better than mine because I also used to play a crap ton of San Francisco Rush, yeah. and I hated it. But I ended up having to play it because my stoner friends in high school would just get high in my friend's trailer, and they would <laughs> just play the free mode of San Francisco Rush over and over and over again. And I would hear the same music track get played on a friggin' loop. Oh, man, what would be amazing if I played that music right now? Actually, it would, <laughs> it would kind of be hilarious if you actually found it. Deep, actually, just to make sure I get it right, it was actually San Francisco Rush 2049 that they played a ton of. The one where it was like oh, a lot yeah. of crazy jumps and spins on your car and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, They made it like kind of space age looking. Yeah. That one was good. It was good, unless that was the only thing you ever got to play when there were better games you could be playing. It was the first uh, game that, if you played in a manual transmission, it had a clutch on it Ooh. on San Francisco Rush. Well, I mean, I, it's 
I don't think it added to the gameplay. Like, you couldn't, like, control your car better using the clutch. I don't think. Especially not in a game like this. I will give it this, though. If I remember correctly, and someone who's listening can correct me if I'm wrong. I think one thing that was interesting about San Francisco Rest 2049 on the console was that you could, like, drive around, like, the tracks, like, veer off the track oh, in really? certain areas and actually find, like, secret items and stuff. Maybe. I know that the, the really big thing about the Rush games was it was arcade racing, so it was, like, you're kind of, like, forced onto the track. Mm -hmm. It was really fast and over the top. But there's always um, uh, uh, secrets and shortcuts. Yes. That was Tons the, of those. Uh, that was the huge, huge thing for all of these ones. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I miss when racing games let you do that kind of stuff. That's why there was that one Mario Kart arcade game they put out, and I was like, this is stupid, because one of the big things about Mario Kart was also finding cool track shortcuts and secret yeah, boost points. Yeah, little hidden stuff, right? Like, in, in, in an arcade game, it would be classic. Of course, it would be fun. You can show, your, show off to your friends, like, how did you know about that? You know. But in this, it's just like, nope, no uh, shortcuts, just different tracks that all go on a straight line. That's a shame. Uh, that's a shame about that. But hey, they added banana cream pies, and I guess the kids love that. So. I like that. I mean, I like banana cream pie. I do, but it won't sell me on Mario Kart. <laughs> All right, what's your uh, next track? All right, so um, I have to do this in honor of the game that I saw selling for $3,500 at uh, too many games this summer. <laughs> what was that? Um, Goemon's Great Adventure, a game that I genuinely have developed an extreme fondness of for regards to his OST. Uh, but in this particular case, we're going to go with the track for Underground Paradise. Though when we go on the break, we're going to do a little bit of digging because I want to make sure I get the right part of it. Um, but this was composed by someone. We'll, we'll, find, we'll, find, we'll figure that out. We'll figure it out.
it. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Underground Paradise from the game Goemon's Great Adventure, released on the N64, composed by Shigeru Araki, Yasumasa Kitagawa, Hirotaka Kurita, Yusuke Kato, and Nobuyuki Akina. Uh, so, I I would be remiss to have be on an N64 focused episode and not bring up the exceptional castle themes from the Goemon games. Mm. There are two games on this system related to the Mystical Ninja slash Goemon franchise. There's Mystical Ninja 64, and then later, Goemon's Great Adventure, which unfortunately ended up becoming the being the final Goemon game to pretty much ever come out because of the whole working designs, 3D Goemon debacle of the early 2000s, which resulted in me having a deck of Goemon trading cards or playing cards yeah. that I don't want to unwrap. Because <laughs> that's like the last remnants of Goemon. That's all. That's all that's left of our boy Goemon. Just some playing cards. So Goemon, a little a little boy with blue spiky hair, needs a ninja. He's a ninja. It's a mystical ninja. If it was the original um, um, Super Nintendo game, he was Kid Ying and his assistant Doctor Yang. But that was them trying to give it some of that Americanized flavor. Right. Their actual names are Goemon and Ibisumaru. Right. So, and this is a this is a long running. Uh, game in Japan. Yeah, there's a lot of great games, and all of them, thankfully, have been fan translated, so if you're down with the ROMing, uh, they're out there on Super Nintendo, you can play them, and they're all fantastic Ooh, games. up, yeah. But, uh, this game, like, so, going Mystical Ninja 64 was a 3D platformer, kind of hitting on the Mario 64 craze. Okay, so, be- behind, behind the back, little ninja butt running around. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I loved both games, but this one was interesting because it went back to return to form. It was a 2D platformer, uh, where you explore a uh, map, you go from like stage to stage, and there's the different town sections like in the old games. But then at the end of each area, there was these elaborate castle stages, and you were excited to get to access to one of them because the music awaited you. <laughs> Whenever you would enter a stage, and you're hearing it right now, the music would start out and it would play, and it would have its own loop, until you get to a certain area of the level, and then the music would just change a bit. Mm-hmm. It's the same track, but there's more. They add more to it. And now you're like, oh, I'm getting to the crescendo point. Now it's getting exciting. Maybe get close to the boss right. or something. So, yeah, so there's there's three parts of this track. The first, the, the second tra- the second part of the track sounds a lot like the first, but just kind of amped up mm-hmm. with more instrumentation. The third part was completely different. Is that like a boss theme? That's, or? that's like the final like a- section leading up to the boss. So oh, it's like one okay. more section of platforming and action before the boss fight. And that's what we're listening to right now. So that's, that's why it's really short then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does sound like a lead up to something. It started to me. It started to sound like uh, the end of a racing game, and it's showing you like the like the stats. It's like the a final results, like a final result loop. But no, it sounds yeah. This is like a lead up to like you're gonna fight a boss, which made me think like, it was just the whole boss theme? No, it, yeah. there's actually a, an actual specific boss theme to the game too, which made me kind of sad with this game because unlike a lot of the other Goemon games, the final castle in the game, rather than being its own stage with its own music, it was sections of all the well they're new sections but they are themed around the old castles and you get the castle themes from those levels so while the music oh, was great yeah, you're yeah. like no i wanted new castle music not you know reuse castle beats yeah, but yeah, it was still fun they were just they were just looking back and, and enjoying a time a fantastic yeah. time. but this game i saw it at too many games and it floored me because the guy had a shrink wrapped copy of it selling for thirty five hundred dollars and i'm like i'm Pretty sure Goemon's Great Adventure is not worth that much. So I started talking to some of my collector friends, and they were like, he probably did that, like what they call um, 
like window shopping or like just showing off your collection, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like I'm going to price it at something no one's going to pay, but I want you to see that I have a sealed copy of Goemon's Great <laughs> Adventure in my collection. So if someone did buy it, it's like, hey, money for me. But the intent, according to these collector friends, is that they just want you to see that they own it. It's still worth good money, but right. not thirty five. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's yeah. It, it might change hands in like the elite collectors world, but like if you see it, if you see something like this at like a, at a games convention, no one's buying, no one's spending that much money on a one game at a game. Let's rate it in a little bit. Really? No. Let's not let's not say that because people are absolutely spending that. I coming. cannot imagine. <laughs> but like, the, that's where I'm going to buy the most expensive game I can People buy. do it. It just has to be actually uh, worth that money. People go to these shows with the intent being to finish off like their like master collection no, no, yeah, of yeah, a yeah, console. Yeah, yeah. And if the price is right, if the price is right, they're going to pay. But even saying, crazy crap like that. But the game itself is not worth yeah, thirty five hundred. No one's no going to these conventions and buying like the Nintendo World Championship cartridge. Maybe, maybe if the guy, if maybe. someone brought it, yeah, and it's there. Trust me when I tell you, I have actually seen a guy run out of a convention hall to wire money to himself to buy a game in the dealer's room. Okay, it, ha- it right, does you know happen. I'm, I'm going to hold it in then because I'm, I'm going to. I clearly didn't didn't realize. It's it. Yeah. The thing about it is like I'm not even faulting you for it because it, it, me, makes, it's, it it's, doesn't it doesn't seem like that's like, a thing that would happen. It doesn't seem like the place you would do that. Yeah. But like people do, like they come to these shows. Like too many games is more than anything. Even though it's changed over the years, at its core, it is a giant swap meet. Yeah. People come out there to hand around or pass around expensive or rare mm, games. Okay. But they're generally padded amongst a bunch of common games for anyone else to pick up and buy too. <laughs> but I mean, like I deep down, I have a couple of games that would probably fence a good price at one of those shows. I just don't do the work to sit down and like catalog all my stuff. Right. And let alone want to sell them. I mean, that's not your thing, right? It's not to an extent though. Like I came close to selling my Magic Knight Ray Earth. That game goes for like three like thirteen hundred to fifteen hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. But uh my thing was that and this is people gonna go, You're out of your gourd for now, but this is just how I roll. I was like, Okay, people were telling me I need to sell my games because they're worth so much. I was like, fine, if I can pull four figures, I'll sell it. So I put it up on eBay, $1,000 required price. I'll take it higher if it gets there, but minimum price is a grand. Okay. Guy came and said, I'll give you $900. I was like, no, I want 1000 He was like, but I'm offering you nine. I was like, and I'm telling you I want 1000 Not greed. It's literally me saying I don't outright want to let the game go, but out of principle, if yeah, someone offered me 1000 bucks for a game, I'd be foolish to not let it go. I'd have to say goodbye. But since no one did it, and people have sold their copies pretty much. I just put it up at the wrong time. Uh, yeah, but yeah. if someone came in and said, a thousand bucks, I'm like, I'll miss you, Hikaru, me and Fu. You were my friends, but now you got to go. I'll have Teflon by the sea on YouTube, and that's <laughs> enough for me. Teflon. Teflon by the sea. Tef- I was like, well, Teflon? Teflon by the sea. I wish it was called Teflon by the sea. <laughs> All right, um, I'm going to pull this track back, and we're going to get into the part of the show that we call the bonus round. Bonus, bonus, bonus round. <laughs> round to go. And the bonus round is where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. I'm playing another N64 track. <laughs> it was I, a challenge, huh? I went out there, and I thought, there's some great, great, great covers and remixes from the Mario 64 um, a soundtrack in, in all of the Zelda games on the 64. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great, great arrangements out there. And I picked one. 
and I'm not going to use it. Why? Because of Killer Instinct. I have the Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct Gold! And there's enough There's enough vocals in that that I think that we should play it in this section on its own. <laughs> I'm okay with it because I want to use the prospector voice again. Yeah, so this Gold! is... Oh, This is um, the track. This is the theme of Black Orchid. It's called Play Hard. It's um, from Killer Instinct Gold, which is a port Play of hard. Killer Black Instinct cards. 2 for the N64. It's by Robert... I'm sorry, Robin... Robin Beanland. hard for now <laughs> oh i love this stuff man this is, it is it, it's just unapologetically 90s you know <laughs> it is just too much fun this is play hard clearly this this is the theme of black orchid from killer instinct gold for the n64 by robin beanland vocals uncredited by faye newborough this had a um uh if i don't remember it had a american um ost release it was called like gold cuts killer instinct gold cuts um, his music from Killer Instinct was popular. Play hard. The funny part is like that was back. That's another game I have a hate relationship with. <laughs> that was the that was a game where my friends would sit around and play that on Super Nintendo round rob, and I'm like, I don't like fighting games. Can we play anything else? Let's play Uniracers. Let's play Uniracers. No, for now. And so I just used Black Orchid, and like, okay, which is funny you chose her theme, but I would just use Black Orchid when I did play. I'm like, all right, fine. This is this is my thing. And I'm going to beat people up with a black orchid. They hated that. <laughs> that was enough for me. I don't even remember the black orchid character. Um, I mean, I really, I really don't. Because I, 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 Killer Instinct was not my thing. I just didn't feel. Oh, she was in the black orchid wore green. <laughs> oh yeah, she, yeah, which is an odd thing for like. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't fit. Doesn't. That fly. was her. That was her. Um, but she had black hair, so I guess that's enough. So let's listen to the lyrics here. Um, wherever you are, wherever you're from, I know what you're going through. Don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear. This is all you need to hear. Um, then a lot of play hard, play hard. You got nothing to lose. Play hard. Be a boy or a man. It's up to you. Play hard. Play hard. It, goes, it goes on like that for a while. <laughs> play hard. <laughs> I think it's clever. They didn't. They think they, they were able to get like a a really good like disco house kind of song like really early disco-y kind of song 
and get like a good hook of lyrics and then just use that little bit of it so they didn't have to use so much space on the cartridge and just kind of keep repeating it over and over again. Play hard. I can imagine this playing during the game though. I mean, this is the, this is how it sounded. Play hard. No, I, I, I don't recall a sound that way. I think the I think Killer Cuts, at least what this is, came more from the arc, maybe the arcade game. No, this is Killer Instinct or, Gold, which is N64. Oh, maybe it did have yeah, that track. Because yeah. keep in mind, the one I was exposed to and forced to play against my will was the Super Nintendo Killer Instinct, the first one. The first one. I was able okay. to dodge the bullet of gold. My friends <laughs> played it, but I had other things I could play at that point. Uh, interesting I, I concepts in Killer Instinct where you would have to like just do a series of button commands that would start the combo and it would just go off on its own. Um, and I thought that was always pretty a uh, pretty cool idea, especially for. I mean, it was a cool idea in theory to me, but I always enjoyed like the execution of combos, like in Marvel versus Capcom or in those kind of types of games, um, rather than just like just the they call it a dial a combo in these Actually, types of the games. I was gonna ask, yeah. I'm not sure if that was the only thing about it, mm-hmm. but like, do you remember what the gimmick or the hook was for Killer Instinct? Because every game had his hook. Mortal Kombat had fatalities. This one was Street Fighter was Street Fighter. <laughs> I think it was the combos. Like you were able to like dial in a bunch of buttons while you were playing rather than just punching and kicking and it would go through a combo of moves and it'd be like 50 ultra combo. That's what it was because it was a combo breaker. Because it was automatic, then the that means that the other player could then break that combo with a series of button presses and it would be a yeah, combo breaker. A combo breaker. Uh, which is wherever that comes from. But I don't know. I guess if you already knew that, I mean, maybe there was timing to it, but I never could figure it out and just... It wasn't Street Fighter, so I wasn't interested. Honestly. Play hard. Yeah. Now, if wish it was sounded like that, you might be more interested. <laughs> it was more Get the a... feeling. Play hard. <laughs> you got nothing to lose. Play hard. All right. What's your track then? All right. So I this is a track yeah. that again I'm amazed I never play on the show. But by picking a remix slash cover, I can play the actual track on the show on a future episode. So I'm doing great things with this. Um. This is a cover from the game Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards. This is called 21st Century Rockstar, composed by Plumegeist.
good track, wasn't it? Really good. This, that was really good. There's some good music in today's episode, but that was excellent. That was a that freaking was sweet. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I was happy with that. That was 21st Century Rockstar composed by or covered and arranged by Plumegeist. And uh, we're looking for we're looking through Plumegeist's uh, work online. Seems to have stopped around 2017, 2018. Which makes um, me sad because like apparently turns out that they composed tracks for a game that I played last year called Spectacular Sparky, mm-hmm. but then Rob looked into it a little more, and they were tracks that they composed back in, like, 2016. Yeah, yeah. They put into the 2021 This is really, game. really good. So, so a lot of these, um, a lot of her or their uh, music on Bandcamp here, the, the artwork is by Dominic Ninmark, or there's, like, co-work with Dominic Ninmark. Which just, that just shows, that explains a so, lot because I love Dominic yeah. Ninmark. So great Swedish composers and producers find each other, apparently. That's where it needs to be. <laughs> I think that's what happened here. But this is really, really good. I mean, I, I really held the spirit of the original track. You can really hear it throughout it, but it was really exciting. You could also hear Kirby. Hi. Yeah, he's in there too. But it was, it was so, so exciting. And it wasn't like over... It wasn't over electronic and it wasn't over heavy, you know. It was just enough. It's just just enough for me. Um, so for more information on the bonus round, you can go to rhythmandpixels.com or we'll have links to the artists' band camps, SoundClouds, and everywhere where you can buy or stream the music and support these artists. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Rhythm and Pixels, episode 34-8, Nintendo 64. Nintendo 64! Ah! Hey! <laughs> um, God. We're going out on music from Bomberman 64. This is excellent. Which is funny. That This is one of my favorite tracks in the game, primarily because this is the perfect juxtaposition. Calming track to infuriating stage. Right. It just works so well. You unlock the level by collecting a bunch of gold cards that are hard to find across the levels, and then you want to access this final bonus level, which is just brutal. It's, I don't know how to explain it. It is one of the most frustrating levels I've ever played the game. It is that tough. Um, it's got some of the best music. Oh, it, the track is, this is wonderful. Very, very, now, Bomberman 64 has got a great soundtrack. Really, really strong. And um, But this is, this is very, very light. It was a great reward yeah. for all of your hard work. Harder work. <laughs> what are you? Re- what are you rewarded for by doing a lot of hard work and putting an effort? Harder work. Now, that, this wasn't the the Bomberman that it was like. They look like you know tough, like metal looking. Oh, thank heavens! I was Act Zero in that I, game. Plopped. Okay, good. This was the. Th- this one still had challenges, but that was more so people that were resistant to change. It was the 3D <laughs> top-down Bomberman, where you ran around in a 3D space looking for secrets and trying to find the level exit. But you also, they introduced something called the bomb jump in this game, where you can pop, make a bomb, drop it, and then bounce off of the bomb before it explodes. And uh, that was a large part of why this level was so infuriating, because it pretty much made you use bomb jumps to the absolute fullest. Wow. You could also inflate bombs to make them make larger mushroom cloud explosions. And uh, sometimes you had to inflate bombs so you can get the right amount of bounce. So you go like small, medium, large, Bop, bop, bop. You bounce across them and you get to the next level. It was, oh, God, it was really good, actually. It sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah. 
But if you want to do well and find all the hidden items and secret costume parts for customizing your Bomberman, yeah, you're going to hate yourself. <laughs> oh. um, well, we should go. I'm turning into a pumpkin. Uh oh! It's well Halloween, so now it's thematic. Yeah, it's thematic. You can turn me into a jack o' lantern later. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna finish this up here. If you want to get in contact with me and Pernell, if you have a track listing or a topic suggestion, or if you have a, if you know a good cover artist, or if you you yourself cover or remix your own video game music, we would love to hear about it. Please send us an email: rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. For a full track listing from this episode and to all of our episodes, go to our website. Rhythmandpixels.com. And as of this recording, our 8-bit and 16-bit uh, 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 video game music radio station is now only on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Rhythmandpixels. Uh, we'll be back on YouTube in a couple months. After getting closer, getting much one month to Getting go. closer every day for now. <laughs> <laughs> getting ready, getting ready. Um, yeah, it's it's still like crapping out like every few days. It's OBS. I don't know what's going on with OBS. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the computer. I mean, it is an old computer that everything's trying to run on. So it's hanging in there. I just got to keep an eye on it. All right. So check that out. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is tell people about it. Or you can click the subscribe button or something wherever you're at, you know, the like or, or favorite. Slap it on a USB stick and hand it out to kids when they come trick or treat. That's right. Uh, put it in the collection plate at church. There you go. <laughs> Um, you can also go to Patreon and support us that way at patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels. As a member of our Patreon, you get access to a monthly live streamed episode that we perform for you once a month. It's a good time. And we're doing it uh, later this week. Um, you also get some cool stuff at higher levels. There's stickers, there's mugs, there's t-shirts. There's even cool stuff you can put in on the radio station that we can you could say words on the radio station and we'll play it. This actually makes me realize. It's put into rotation. Help me remember to actually use my Elgato and record something. Yeah, it should get it there on Twitch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people or like do it live. I'm like, I don't know about or, that, but I can record. It could be exclusive Patreon content. So um, anyway, that can all be there on Patreon. And at the end of every episode, we'd like to thank all of our Patreon members. We'd like to thank Brooke and, frankly, Zappa and Khalid. First and foremost, all three of you are the tops. Brooke, you're in here twice. I don't know why. If you ever listen to this far in our shows, I apologize. I need to contact you. Make sure you're not getting double, double, double brooked. Double brooked. <laughs> yeah, that will be good. We got, we got to get the single brook. So it's two different um, icons. So I'm wondering if it just happened twice. I'll figure that out. We'll, we'll help you out there. And if you do get um, double brook, you might get an extra T-shirt. There you go. Because I think that'll be that'll be cool to, to do. But in the meantime, we're going to probably just start calling you double brook. Yeah, let's we'll call it. You're that. double brooked because we already have a triple Jeff. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll thank also the number one. Thank you to Kristen GameFan44. Thank She's you. She's crushing it on the on the um, the Spock Shocktober channel. Oh, is she? Oh, I have been paying attention. I, I got to pull up that Discord thread. I want to thank you, Martyrus, host of the ReVGM podcast. Thank you, Mike. Oh, Meyer. real quick. By Yo. the way, I'm, I keep finding reason to stop this. Martyrus, I'll probably bug you later, but by some chance, if you're near the Los Angeles area. Look out for me, so we can have lunch. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so beginning of the next month. Um, thank you, Mike Myers. Also, maybe seeing you soon. Off person. Thank you to Alex Messenger, host of AVGM Journey. Thank you to Brian Pitt, Cameron Worma, Carlos, 
Kung Fu Carlito, host of the Heroes 3 podcast. Thank you to Chris Wisner, a.k.a. Musashi219, a.k.a. The wise guy. The wise man. Wise man. The wise man. Wise, he's wise guy. Chris Wiseman. Wiseman. <laughs> Thank you to Christopher Senstrom, Chuck Kowalski, Davey Cakes, David Taylor, Enchilada Rigol, Harold Howard, Triple Jeff, Justin Schneider, host of XVGM Radio, with his co-host, Mike Levy. Mike Levy, thank you. Mike Levy. That was that left my brain. Uh, thank you to Keith Shusterman, Dr. Michael Bridgewater. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to Rage Cage, host of the VG Emporium podcast. He's uh, he's on a weekly schedule now, I think. I know, it's coming out. Wait, really? Stuff stuff stuff's coming out of the of the VG Emporium. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I mean, he does good work. So yeah. So which, so, by the way, I forgot up. to say this. Up. Doing the work. That track we did earlier. Um, crap. Let me look at my thing here. Turok Dinosaur Hunter, the Ancient City. There's your next B-Box thing that you can do. Oh, B-Box? I mean, that's... That's a challenge. That's a challenge. I want to hear him try that. So, so, so yeah, so we're asking Rage Cage to B-Box that Turok track. That's, that, that is like a... That's that takes that's an endurance beat. That is, I need an oxygen <laughs> tank on standby. So thank you, Rage Cage. Thank you, Rain Hart Salkova. Thank you, Sleepy S'more, Steve Miller, Taco, Ed Wilson, host of the VG Embassy podcast, an all-around great guy, and Zach Thornbach. Also, I'm sure a great person too. So all of you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for your continued support of our show. I'm thank not- all of you and, and many more. I'll be honest, I feel like the majority, if not all those people, are probably that level of cool. Because what I've come to feel and realize is that most people in this community are generally pretty decent people. Like, no stress, no muss, no fuss, easy to communicate with. Just decent people. And very few comedians you can say that about. So, take that for what it is. (laughs) Um, Purnell, is there anything else you want to plug before we go? I'm having, it's a funny part now. I wish I had more because I'm like, I just kept, st- oh, it's funny. Too, like, I thought it was funny on the list that I'm going to, I'm going out that way to visit Mike. Yeah. And their names are read one after the other on the list. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like, where are you go? It's like, well. <laughs> well, you find Purnell on the SML podcast. Is that right? You, I am still on there. Yeah. I'm reviewing a lot of games. You can also um, find him on heypoorplayer.com. You got some words up there, right? I'd actually need to get another game to review for that site too. But the problem is, like, I want it time. It's always time. Yeah, it's a little bit more time. time. Um, so, yeah, Hayport Player and SML. That's Purnell. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show, Rhythm and Pixels. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Purnell. We will see you next week. At StacyCon <laughs> 64. At StacyCon 64. Oh, my God. That's and, very good. That's like fantastic. It. And remember, believe it or not, I don't really have a particular one today because I'm going through my own nonsense right now birthday jitters and all that jazz but one thing i can say because i am challenged with this enough to know that it's worth talking about is you might want to like communication is not an easy thing whether you're trying to communicate with friends loved ones countrymen whatever you're trying to communicate with sometimes you add a little bit extra stress you're not used to it it's harder and you put extra emphasis on the challenge to do so introverts are especially challenged with this i'm an introvert too um but as frustrating as it sounds, as scary as it may sound, the only true way to ever get better at it or surpass your, you know, your wall is to engage in it. And if it comes down to being a matter of being concerned about doing so without flubbing or screwing up or being stressed, and I'm again, I'm, this is advice I need to take too. Um, maybe consider doing it in a way where you have an out 
whether it's a supportive friend that you already have that comes with you on this endeavor. That way you have that comfort zone there around you or a comfort environment. Or if you're born by yourself, always give yourself an out. My finding a situation where like, yeah, I ain't no good time, I'm leaving. Like, no, don't give yourself any pressure or requirement to stay any longer than you're comfortable staying in the space trying to talk to people you never met. Leave when you feel comfortable with leaving. Leave. And if you don't leave, hey, that means you made progress. If you stay a little longer than you did last time, you made more progress. Point is, you can't get better unless you practice. And unfortunately, we weren't all given the tools, so we got to make do with what we got. So start talking to people. Get out there and break your comfort barriers. 